discussion from the section which in which we just concluded in the last class where we find sri ramakrishna is instructing narendra and his friends who have just finished their bathe in the ganges and the master is asking them go to the panchavati and meditate there under the banyan tree shall i give you something to sit on <clears throat> so this is the thing which we were indicating that as sri ramakrishna himself did intense sadhana intense spiritual practices at panchavati under the panchavati so that place is surcharged with holy vibrations so this is the concept of tirtha the tirtha by itself doesn't become tirtha for ages together the holy men the spiritual aspirants will be visiting so called the tirtha the places of pilgrimage and there they spend their time in spiritual endeavors constantly trying to keep their mind uplifted in the spiritual in the spiritual domain sublime domain and that creates a vibration that creates an atmosphere and that's why we find that even when we are uh most probably not in a very devotional or spiritual mood but the moment we go to a shrine a temple where all the people visit to pay their worship to pay their reverence to the lord there that place is so surcharged, surcharged with the divine vibration that we immediately find our mind gets transformed so that's the significance of the places of worship so if what to speak of panchavati where sri ramakrishna attained the divine illumination so his intense sadhana under the panchavati has created that a atmosphere of holy vibrations there even now if we go we can feel that and that's what swami uh, sri ramakrishna is indicating the young narain and his friends that go and sit there and do your spiritual practice so the meditation will be at ease you won't have to struggle with your meditation you can get the advantage of the holy vibrations there and that's why he is requesting them to go to panchavati about half past 10 narain and his brahmo friends were meditating in the panchavati after a while sri ramakrishna came to them aim too was present the master said to the brahmo devotees in meditation one must be absorbed in god by merely floating on the surface of the water 
Can you reach the gems lying at the bottom of the sea? So that's the thing which is the most important factor in meditation, to dive deep. That's why in the eight paths which has been prescribed in yoga, it starts with yama niyama, all the virtues we have to practice, the moral codes which we have to practice, that speaks of yama niyama. The first two steps and then the next steps are asana pranayama. Yama niyama, asana pranayama, pratyahara. This is the five. The dhyana comes as a sixth. Then after saying dhyana, they're speaking of other two steps, that is dharana and samadhi. And now one may ask, what is the difference between this dhyana, dharana, samadhi? It's nothing. This dhyana, dharana, samadhi, all the three are meditation. The difference is only in the quality. The qualitative degree of meditation speaks of dhyana, dharana, samadhi. With an example, we can try to understand that if a picture is of low resolution, that nowadays the pictures are digital. If you see the picture, observe it with the help of a magnifying glass, you will find that it is not something continuous. It's not that the line has been drawn. It is innumerable dots which actually has created that picture. These dots are so closely placed that it gives a sense of continuation. That's why you will find the pictures which are of low resolution. If you magnify them, you can easily see the dots. The picture of high resolution, the dots will be very, very close. They, they use the term DPI, dots per inch. So pratyahara, what it speaks of, that at present, when we are trying to meditate, our mind is distracted. We again have to bring it back again and again to the object of our concentration. That's the pratyahara, again and again, bringing the mind to the object of meditation. By practicing, a time comes when the mind is now fixed. It's not deviating. But we will find this dhyana is of like just like the low DPI. That the mind's frequency, the mental thoughts, that if you are meditating, suppose A, 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 you are meditating, whatever it may be. So you are meditating A, that the frequency of A, A at the very beginning is very low. As we go on meditating, as we become adept, as our emotive faculty gets linked with the meditation, you'll find that when we are emotionally bounded with someone, that how intense our meditation can be. And that's what happens in our meditation. When our devotion starts growing, it's not just mechanical meditation. Then the object of meditation, the thought process becomes as if like a very high frequency. There is as if no gap between the two thoughts, though there is no distraction. But in an ordinary meditation, what happens that there is as if a gap between one thought and the next thought. With the intensity, that gap reduces, that you find a constant ekavritti, that one thought with high frequency. 
the more the frequency the more intense is the meditation then the dhyana has got converted into dharana and what is samadhi that as we have told that again and again that that dharana that intensity is so high that there cannot be any the chance of any other uh, awareness to slip through between those two consecutive thoughts even the bodily awareness like this feeling of hunger thirst tiredness sleep need for sleep for those sensations also a part of the mind is required when the meditation has become so intense the dharana has ripened to such an extent when all those bodily uh, feelings all those bodily this biological alarm system they also cannot be taken care of what to speak of the external distractions they have fallen off long back because of the intense meditation even the bodily feelings has fallen off that's the state of videha which we find in the yoga sutra though you are in the body you don't feel the body because all the bodily feelings the mind cannot process them anymore because it is so intently absorbed in the object of meditation and then what happens at last the last thing for which the mind never leaves hold is the ego the sense that i am this limited psychophysical existence the mind is always holding on to that when the meditation becomes so intense that even the ego the mind cannot hold on to that it has to give it for entirely to the meditation and then the ego falls off it is the ego which gives me the idea that i am meditating i am the meditator here is the object of meditation and the meditation is the process by which with this two are linked i am linked with the object of meditation through the process of meditation dhyana dhyata dhyaya how nicely the samadhi has been described as the collapse of this triad you become as if one with the object of meditation and that's the state of samadhi the ultimate state when you become one with the object of meditation whatever may be the object of meditation what the object of meditation is not the important thing the important thing is whatever may be the object of meditation the ego has fallen off you have as if created a hole in the wall of ego and now the mind the moment the ego falls off the mind immediately identifies with the absolute reality so anything can take us there so this speaks of intensity of our meditation the quality of our meditation many of us are just quite happy with the uh, meditation which helps us to just somehow relax or to get rid of our uh, this inordinate attachments and distractions i feel with light calm at bliss i'm happy but that is as if like floating in the surface unless the tremendous devotion is there the tremendous intensity of devotion is there we can never dive deep into the this as if the bottom of the sea or the bottom of the sea where the gems are lying that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so here like that's why sri ramakrishna again and again he is saying that he saw in the brahma samaj the meditation is fixed they will ask them that after the prayers the one who is conducting the prayer will say close your eyes meditate maybe at the most for 5 minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes 
and the meditation is over. So that's why, and that, that 15 minutes also, how we are meditating, no one knows. Because we find Sri Ramakrishna once visit, visited a Brahma prayer where Keshav Chandrasen, the founder of Brahma Samaj, was meditating along with the other members. Sri Ramakrishna, seeing them, could as if scan their mind. He told only this person, pointing to Keshav, for him only the tail has fallen off. So all started laughing. They couldn't actually understand that what it means. Then Ramakrishna himself explained that the tadpole, you will find that the tadpole has tail. As long as it has tail, as long as the tadpole hasn't been, hasn't grown into a frog, it, it cannot leave out of the waters. It has to be in the waters. Once that tail falls off, the tadpole's tail falls off, it can stay in the water as well as in the land. So seeing Keshav, that the one who is not a sannyasi, he is a householder, but he has developed the faculty to dive deep into the meditation. And that time, the, as if the world has fallen off for him. So he's the one who can stay as if both in water as well as in land. When he's meditating, the world is no more for him. And when he comes back from meditation, of course, he is there to take care of his responsibilities. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna told that it is the only he whose tail has fallen off. Means when he's meditating, it's quite deep. And about others, what he told, very jokingly, what he told is others' meditation is like the monkeys. He is the one, Keshav is the one whose meditation is like the one whose tail has fallen off, the tadpole whose tail has fallen off. And for others, he is giving an, a simile of that their meditation is like the monkeys. Sometimes you will find the monkeys are sitting quietly on the terrace as if meditating. Sri Ramakrishna is saying that as if they are meditating, but actually they are planning in whose uh, backyard the banana the bananas have ripened most probably there are some banana trees in someone's backyard the bananas have ripened so the next venture will be to uh, go and have the bananas from that backyard all those they are planning so for that that sitting quietly actually is there appear to be sitting quietly but the mind is extremely active they're thinking of their next venture, their next endeavor. And that's what is the meditation of others. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. So that type of meditation in no way is going to help us in our spiritual life. Maybe to a certain extent, it can give us relaxation. It can give us a, a tranquility, but that's all. If we are satisfied with that, we won't progress in spirituality. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, uh, Swami Vivekananda used to say that it is good to be born in a church, but it is horrible to die there. So all those little meditation, little prayer, all those are like the church. It helps us. How it helps us? Just the way a small sapling is protected by the fence. When the sapling is small, it is tender, 
you need a fence to protect it but it has when when it has grown into a huge tree you can even tie an elephant with it nothing will happen to it so by saying that it is good to be born in a church the church means all the conventional religion gives us to certain extent a protection as long as we are sapling in our spiritual life but when we grow that fence is no more required so unless we grow that fence is again of no use because the plant is meant to grow if the sapling never grows what's the use of that fence because i have given the fence so that in time the sapling should grow into a huge tree if it never grows then what's the use of that fence so it's the church is useful if we can outgrow the church by church we mean any organization religion any organizational religion it any conventional religion it doesn't mean a particular denomination so any organized religion any religion which helps us to bound uh, bind us with some prayers with some rudimentary form of meditation with some ritualistic worship is good but we shouldn't be satisfied by that we have to become an adept and we have to dive deep and that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating in meditation one must be absorbed in god by merely floating on the surface of the water can you reach the james lying at the bottom of the sea narendra and his friends came down from their seats on the raised platform of the panchavati and stood near the master he returned to his room with them the master continued when you plunge in the water of the ocean you may be attacked by alligators but they won't touch you if your body is smeared with turmeric turmeric there are no doubt six alligators lust anger avarice and so on within you in the heart's fathomless depths but protect yourself with the turmeric of discrimination and renunciation and they won't touch you so that's very the important thing in spiritual life many think that meditation is of a prime importance but they forget without the basic uh molding of the character without the basic integrity of the character meditation won't be of much help actually it can be detrimental it can be dangerous because we forget when we are practicing meditation we are sharpening our intellect if you are meditating on the particular aspect of the divine the one of the most important uh, aspect of meditation is visualization you are visualizing the deity you become an adept in visualizing the deity and we forget that you are becoming an adept in concentrate in focusing the mind in visualizing you are becoming an adept so now if you don't take care of your moral side the visualizations related to all the sensual things that also gets intensified the one who is an adept in meditation they can be highly sensuous 
because they have developed the faculty of visualization and focus, which if not directed only to the sublime spiritual aspects and somehow gets directed to the so-called sensual pursuits, it can lead to tremendous attachment because you have developed the faculty of visualization, of focus, and now that is being used to visualize the worldly things, to focus on the worldly things. And that focus being very, very intent can really make you highly attached. And that's the danger. They are like, that's why they say that in the ocean, when you have plunged and you have plunged without proper vairagya, proper dispassion, renunciation, then know it for certain there are alligators. As very nicely Shankaracharya says, the, the alligators, how what they do? Those who have an apparent renunciation. is not The renunciation is not very strong. So such mumukshun, apata vairagya vata mumukshun, an aspirant, mumukshun is an aspirant whose vairagya is apparent. It's not real, deep. And with that type of renunciation, apata vairagya, Sri Ramakrishna used to say Markat Vairagya. With that type of Vairagya, when one tries to plunge in the ocean of samsara, of sadhana, then what happens? Bhavabdi Parang Pratiyatu Mudyaman Ashagraha Majyate Antarale. Know it for certain. The, there are alligators. The same what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. There's the same thing Shankaracharya is saying in Viveka Churamani. So, graha is the alligator. Asharup graha. All the desire, the graha in the form of desires. They are hiding in the deep waters. What they will do? Nigviha kante vinivartya vega. They will catch hold you of you, in you, uh, of you and will forcibly pull you down. This pull into the deep waters. So those seekers after realization, uh, of, there's those seekers for liberation, who have got only apparent dispassion and are trying to cross the ocean of this samsara. You know it for certain, the alligators of hankering, of desires, they will catch you, they catch hold of you by your throat and violently snatch you just deep into the waters. That's what this sloka of the Viveka Churamani speaks of. And the same thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying, Know it for certain. This desire in the form of lust, anger, avarice, they're going to pull you down. So when that it's it's generally believed that if you smear yourself with turmeric, even if the alligators are there in the water, they're repelled by the turmeric. So this turmeric acts, acts as a protection. They won't allow the alligators to predate on you, to attack you. And that's what's the turmeric in spiritual life? There's the discrimination and renunciation. Viveka Vairagya. Discrimination. That constantly this idea should be there in the mind. God alone is real. Everything is, is just temporary. That is the discrimination. Brahma Satya Jagan Mithya. 
Mithya means that which has no permanent existence. It exists just for the time being. It's a flow. The reality is God. He is, he was, he will be. I have to be aligned with him. I have to associate myself with him. That's the discrimination. Once the discrimination is strong, it's bound to follow by renunciation. If I know the world is not something which is going to be with me through eternity, why should I be hankering after it? Anything which is bound to flow off, why should we be attached to it? Because I can never hold on to something which is flowing. So renunciation is bound to come if there is discrimination. And when these two are there, they act like the turmeric. They won't allow the alligators in the form of lust, anger, avarice to pull you down, drag you down into the deep waters of samsara. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. When you plunge in the water of the ocean, you may be attacked by alligators, but they won't touch you if your body is smeared with turmeric. <clears throat> there are no doubt six alligators. Lust, anger, avarice, and so on within you, in the heart's fathomless depths. But protect yourself with the turmeric of discrimination and renunciation, and they won't touch you. What can you achieve by mere lecturing and scholarship without discrimination and dispassion? So again, the same thing he's saying, that it's not just intellectual knowledge. It has to be internalized. It's not like learning physics, chemistry, or other academic subjects where it has nothing to do with my character, with my behavior. The knowledge is something apart from that, that you can be highly intellectual. At the same time, I can be just a wayward, morally very loose. But in spiritual life, these two has to go hand in hand. What we are speaking has to find expression through our life. All those should be internalized. Unless they're internalized, it speaks, uh, it doesn't in any way speaks of our spiritual and evolution. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, vultures soar, soar very high in the sky, but their focus is on the carrion in some charnel, in some charnel pit where the rotten flesh is there. It's attention is there, though it's flying very high. So with all our education, if we have don't have dispassion, if we don't have renunciation, our education just helps us to soar high in the sky like the vulture. But all our, end, our attention is on some extreme selfishness, on some extreme sensuality, on some extreme pettiness. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating, that it has to be internalized. Otherwise, what's the use of that knowledge? As Swami Vivekananda's story of the stag reminds of us the same thing, that the stag, which was so proud of his strength, was uh, immediately was afraid of the barking of the dog and started running. All the, it's uh, what you say, the this bragging, he forgot, he was running. And when it was asked that what made you scared, was so scared, he told that all my confidence vanish whenever I hear the barking of the dog. So all our, in our life, 
with all our knowledge, we will find it doesn't help. When we at in the life's crisis moment, we find those knowledge is in no way helping us because they have not been internalized. So, and that the process of internalization is discrimination and dispassion. Through that, what we study, that becomes a part and parcel of our life. As if our reflex changes, the things which used to attract us now start rippling us. And that speaks of the internalization, the total change of our psychophysical personality. It's an overhauling of the personality. That's what is the real mark of spiritual evolution. It's not just mere scholarship. God alone is real and all else is unreal. God alone is substance and all else is non-entity. This is discrimination. So after speaking of discrimination as its passion, as the two essential thing in spiritual life, now Ramakrishna is, in his simple words, describing what is discrimination, what is viveka. God alone is real and all else is unreal. God alone is the substance and all else is non-entity. This is discrimination. That God alone is the real, everything is unreal. It is just a projection. It is something being superimposed. It, does, it has as such no essential reality. So why should we get attached to something which has no substance, no substantial reality? So that's the discrimination. First of all, set up God in the shrine of your heart and then deliver lectures as much as you like. How will the mere repetition of Brahman profit you if you are not imbued with discrimination and dispassion? It is the empty sound of a conch shell. What is the empty sound of a conch shell means? That it has no realization. I am saying Brahman. Brahman means what? The ultimate reality which is the witness, which in no way is involved, is getting affected by the happenings of the world. So I say I am Brahman and in my life when even an ordinary thorn pricks me, I shout out in pain. These two are contradictory. If I am Brahman, how this world can affect me? So it's that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that through all our intellectual knowledge, what we are speaking of has nothing to do with our day-to-day -day life. So that way we can never think of spiritual evolution, spiritual progress. In spiritual life, through discrimination and dispassion, what we are repeating has to be internalized. What, the, what we mean by internalization, as Swami Vivekananda speaks of a monk who used to meditate deep in the forest, constantly repeating Aham Brahmasmi, and his voice could be heard from the village, just on the opposite side of the river. There's a river flowing, on one side is the forest, on the other side was the village. The villagers could hear him. He's repeating, Aham Brahmasmi, day in and day out. One day he was caught by the lion and the lion was dragging him deep into the forest. But till his last breath, the villagers could hear the chant of Aham Brahmasmi going on. It never stopped. 
That's the thing which speaks of internalization. That's not empty sound. What he's saying, that's being reflected through his life. Otherwise for us, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that it's just like the syllable which has been taught to the parrot. The parrot says Ram Ram, he has been taught, but go and try to throttle his throat, just try to suffocate it, the immediate, immediately the wild, it's a wild sound will come out. It will forget saying Rama Rama. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that it says Rama Rama, but when it's in crisis, it's wild note comes out. It forgets Rama. That's our condition. So what's the use of just saying something behind which there is no realization? That's like the empty sound of a conch shell. After saying that, Sri Ramakrishna will narrate a very interesting story. There lived in a village a young man named Padmalochan. People used to call him Podo for short. In this village, there was a temple in a very dilapidated condition. It contained no image of God. Ashwatha and other plants sprang up on the ruins of its walls. Bats lived inside and the floor was covered with dust and the droppings of the bats. The people of the village had stopped visiting the temple. One day after dusk, the villagers heard, heard the sound of a conch shell from the direction of the temple. They thought perhaps someone had installed an image in the shrine and was performing the evening worship. One of them softly opened the door and saw Padmalochan standing in a corner, blowing the conch. No image had been set up. The temple hadn't been swept or washed and filth and dirt lay everywhere. Then he shouted to Podo, you have set up no image here within the shrine of full, blowing the conch, you simply make confusion, worse confounded. Day and night, 11 bats scream there incessantly. So what is this 11 bats, sir? The five Gyanendriyas, the five organs of perception, the five Karmendriyas, the five organs of action and the mind. So these are the 11 bats, which is making this temple filthy, where the image has not been installed. The image has not been installed in the temple of this body and in the sanctum sanctum of the heart. It has not been installed. Just we read a few scriptures and we go on. Just simply discussing on it. We are just go on giving lectures on it. But this, uh, the senses, the mind are not in control. They are just making this temple dirty constantly with filth. So this, all these shoutings, all this uh, blowing of the conch shell is empty. The villagers thought that most probably the deity has been installed, but it has not been installed. So these are all empty sounds. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that there is no use in merely making a noise if you want to establish the deity in the shrine of your heart, if you want to realize God. First of all, purify the mind. In the pure heart, God takes his seat. One cannot bring the holy image into the temple if the droppings of the bats are all around. The 11 bats are our 11 organs, five of action, five of perception, and the mind. First of all, 
invoke the deity and then give lectures to your heart's content. First of all, dive deep, plunge to the bottom and gather up the gems. Then you may do other things, but nobody wants to plunge. People are without spiritual discipline and prayer, without renunciation and dispassion. They learn a few words and immediately start to deliver lectures. It is difficult to teach others. Only if a man gets a command from God after realizing him, is he entitled to teach. So you have to understand the background in which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking those words. It's those days where in Calcutta, these various religious movements have popped up. And in the name of religion, everywhere, it was just this lectures, congregations and lectures, all trying to interpret the scriptures in their own way. It has created as if a terrible noise. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. No one is intently practicing spirituality. It, is, it has just become a profession. And people are just happy in discussing what is written in the scriptures, giving lectures. No one is having the intention to dive deep. So on that background, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking this word. Thus conversing, the master came to the west end of the veranda and stood by his side. Sri Ramakrishna had repeated again and again that, that God cannot be realized without discrimination and renunciation. This made M extremely worried. He had married and was then a young man of 28, educated in college in the Western way. Having a sense of duty, he asked himself, do discrimination and dispassion mean giving up woman and gold? He was really at a loss to know what to do. M to the master, what should one do if one's wife says, you are neglecting me, I shall commit suicide. Now, Sri Ramakrishna's reply is really very serious. Master in a serious tone, what he's saying, give up such a wife if she proves an obstacle in the way of spiritual life. Let her commit suicide or anything else she likes. The wife that hampers her husband's spiritual life is an ungodly wife. In Bengali, avidya. This avidya shamsha. Avidyastri, ungodly wife. So now we may find that as if Sri Ramakrishna is extremely stern, but what he is saying is something which we have to reflect on. That here Sri Ramakrishna will find he is not encouraging any householder to renounce the family life. In some other context, we will find that if he finds a householder is not in the name of renunciation, is not taking care of his family, he is admonishing them very severely. So in the name of religion, just to relinquish your duties as a family person, he's never, he's never in any way encouraging that. But at the same time, a householder, after taking care of his household responsibilities, if he wants to develop dispassion, detachment, and practice devotion. And now the family comes on the way. Then Sri Ramakrishna is very stern. That the family is not meant just for enjoyment. Family is actually a responsibility. Where the family is there for the next generation. 
to be nurtured, taken care of, so that they also grow and become a productive human being. A one who is responsible, one who has this, this developed the sense of this spirituality. So family is the place to nurture. It's not the place of enjoyment. If anyone thinks that enjoyment is the goal, know it for certain, it will. it is bound to end up in unnecessary strife and tension because it is the place where all the selfish beings have somehow came together, all thinking of their own pleasure. That wherever this pleasure seeking is there, it is going to end up in strife and tension. So that's the thing we will find in the words of Ramakrishna, that you are not, I'm not saying you that you go away from the family, you're staying in the family. The responsibilities which has to be taken care of in the family, you're taking care of, you're sustaining the family. After that, if someone is saying that you are not taking care of me, then you do have the right to say that, that you can do whatever you want. But as in the present days we say, that you, that I have my own space, even in the present day family, if someone, even your family member, your family member is trying to interfere too much in your space, then we, in the present day, even from the government legal point of view, we will say it is an abuse. It's an abuse. So that is the thing which, is, which Sri Ramakrishna is saying. It's not that he's saying, don't take care of family. Take care of it. But you do have your own space for your own spiritual life. And you have the right to maintain that space. There shouldn't be any intrusion there. Because after all, family, as we are saying repeatedly, is not just mere place of enjoyment. It's a place for security, support, sustenance of its members, especially of the young ones. Once that is taken care of, one do have the right to have his, have his or her own space, even within the family. As Sri Ramakrishna, when someone is to say that I want to renounce the family life, he has already entered the householder's life, he's married. Sri Ramakrishna is to say, why do you want to renounce? It is to stay in, in with the family is just like staying in the fort not in a pleasure garden, in a fort, which gives you protection, which gives you sustenance, which gives you support, which gives you security. So it's a fort. Use it that way. Then it's okay. But if someone says just because that we are that we being married and that I need too much of your attention and if you don't give me, I'm going to commit suicide, Sri Ramakrishna is turned. That this is an ungodly wife that the wife that hampers her husband's spiritual life is an ungodly wife. Give up such a wife if she proves an obstacle in the way of spiritual life. Let her commit suicide or anything else she likes. That's how stern Sri Ramakrishna is. Immersed in deep thought and stood leaning against the wall. Narendra and the other devotees remained silent a few minutes. The master exchanged several words with them. Then suddenly going to M, he whispered in his ear, but if a man has sincere love for God, then all come under his control. The king 
wicked persons and his wife. Sincere love of God on the husband's part may eventually help the wife to lead a spiritual life. If the husband is good, then through the grace of God, the wife may also follow his example. So this is a very interesting thing. In this life, know it for certain, what you want, you're bound to get. Now the question is, do we really want? Before saying that the external circumstances is disturbing me, let us dive deep within ourselves to find out the answer, do we really want? If we have intense desire for anything, the plan of the universe is such, the entire nature will conspire to fulfill your desire. Sri Ramakrishna in some other place gives a very wonderful example that your desire is bound to be fulfilled if it is very intense. The plan of the nature is such. You see, saying what is that example? That if a person's son was about to die, in some other context, he's saying this story. He was suffering from some very, very serious disease. It was a fatal, he was about to die. The son was on the sick bed, on the deathbed. And he was in search of some remedy. He never knew that how to save her own, his own son. And then someone gave a prescription. A hermit gave him a prescription. But what? That when a particular constellation is on the ascendant, the Swati Nakshatra is on the ascendant in the sky. And when this, that constellation is there, and then it rains. That constellation has to be on the sky when it rains. And that uh, rainwater has to get mixed up with the venom of a very deadly cobra. The rain, that pure rainwater during the time of the constellation Swati, Nakshatra, it has to get diluted with the venom of the cobra, the extremely venomous snake. That diluted water, that water diluted with the venom of the cobra, you have to bring and then just feed your child. Put the drop of it in your child's mouth he will be cured. So now it's almost impossible when that particular nakshatra is on the sky, then it should rain, and then from where that rainwater should, go, uh, should get diluted with the snake's poison. Now this man intently started praying to the Lord. He went into the forest, which was just uh, outside the village, and there he sat under the tree, and was intently praying to the Lord, Oh Lord, please arrange so that I can get this the prescription, the prescription, the thing which has been prescribed, I can get. And then he suddenly, he, he realized that he, it was the time when that particular constellation was of course there in the sky. It was a clear sky and suddenly it started become cloudy. The weather started changing and there was suddenly started raining. It was a torrential rain. He was sitting behind the, just uh, beneath the tree and he was praying, oh Lord, is the, the, just make the other things coincide. 
And suddenly from nowhere, he saw a snake coming near the tree. And when the snake was crawling, he saw there was a skull. The skull of a human. It was just uh, lying there. And that actually he was, uh, he realized that he was in a cremation ground. That's in the, on the outskirts of the village. And the skull was there. And the rainwater was falling into the skull and the snake was crawling near it. And then from nowhere, suddenly a frog came. And the frog was almost on the way of the snake. And when the snake was about to just bite the frog, it was about to just put its fang on the frog, the frog jumped. So the, the snake missed the frog and its poison, the venom, the, the venom, it fell into the water which was in the skull. And he took that water and fed the child and he was saved. He just was revived. So why is Sri Ramakrishna saying this story? That when your prayers are intent, all the impossible conditions, the nature will conspire to fulfill all the conditions and make the thing happen. In this life, whatever we want, intent to desire, that is bound to happen. Now you may say, no, I wanted to be a doctor. I couldn't become a doctor. We forget one thing, very interesting thing, that when some student was thinking that, let, that I should become a doctor or an engineer, whatever it may be, and he couldn't become, he forgets that though he was professing that he wants to be a doctor, constantly he was fearing that most probably I cannot become. That's the thought which was actually going on within, that fear, I, I most probably, I won't get chance. I, I won't get the scope. And that's what he has realized. What you are just professing, that's not your desire. The real thing is what you're constantly contemplating. So it is our belief system that the thing which you intently believe and is bound to happen. You will find that in the business, in the world of business, a some very poor person suddenly starts becoming a very prominent person in business and he reaches the peak and then suddenly he starts losing. So when he had nothing, his intent belief to reach to the top, took him to the top. When he was in the top, the fear came, I may lose everything. He lost everything. There's a wonderful book on this subject. Just the name is belief. The secret, the name of the book is The Secret. So the entire subject is that, that what you believe that happens to be in our life. So if you are sincere, if you have sincere love of God, know it, for, know it for certain, the circumstance will change. That we are born in the circumstances as per our desire. There are two things. There's one is sanskara, when I'm trying to achieve something, I'm developing the sanskara for it, the liking for it. And another thing is the entire world is preparing uh, for me the ground in which the desire will be fulfilled. The one who wants to be a doctor, he's studying very hard. He gets good grades. The getting good grades is directly under his control. It is the result of his effort. But another thing is not the result of his effort. 
because of the good grades now he gets chance in the medical college the entire medical college is not the result of his effort it is something a collective endeavor it was already there he was just gravitated there the all the environment was already there he just goes and fits in there so that's what happens when we have an intent desire you will find gradually the external circumstances is bound to change and that's what sri ramakrishna is saying that when we have an intense desire the entire nature will conspire to fulfill our desire and that's the plan of the nature and that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating if a man has a sincere love for god then all come under his control the king wicked person and his wife sincere love of god on the husband's part may eventually help the wife to lead a spiritual life her mind will be changed gradually if really he really wants from his from the bottom of his heart the life partner also has he will gradually be influenced by his this intense spiritual longing if the husband is good then through the grace of god the wife may also follow his example this had a most soothing effect on m's worried mind all the while he had been thinking let her commit suicide what can i do aim to the master the world is a terrible place indeed master to the devotees that is the reason chaitanya said to his companion nityananda listen brother there is no hope of salvation for the worldly minded shono nitto nityananda bhai sanshari jiber kono goti nai so that's the translation is listen brother there is no hope of salvation for the worldly minded so if that's the it is the important word is the worldly minded it's not that one who is in sansara we can one can be in the world but the, he should not get drenched by the world just and the scriptures they speak of the lotus leaf it is in water but it never gets drenched by the water water just simply falls off it it's always dry but if we are worldly minded then all our spiritual practices is just like rowing a boat without raising the anchor so there cannot be any progress if i am all if i am anchored and i am rowing my boat how can i progress so a drunkard rowed was was rowing the boat throughout the night throughout the night he was rowing and in the morning he found he is in the same place and then he realized he forgot to pick up the anchor and that's what drunk with the worldliness we go on rowing the boat in the name of spiritual practices only to realize we have not removed the anchor we have not released the anchor we are st- we are anchored with all our desires how can this type of uh this state of our existence can lead to in any way emancipation that's what sri ramakrishna is saying that unless that's the entire topic you will find is rotating around these two thing viveka vairagya uh, and abhyasa we have to practice repeating the name of lord meditating that is abhyasa but that abhyasa should be complemented by this vairagya detachment otherwise it is just like rowing the boat without raising the anchor 
and that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so we will continue with the discussion it's a discussion which uh, uh, we will find is applicable to us all in our as per our spiritual life is concerned so we will continue with it again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars <laughs>